The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, the pastor said he would be watching today. So, pastor, I'm so glad you gave me the subject of dealing with Cain and Abel. You know, I love speaking on subjects dealing with sin. Y'all don't like that, do you? <clears throat> well, we're going to be talking about envy today. And, of course, I'm glad he assigned this chapter to me, Genesis chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Because I know that you are such godly people, you don't have problems with envy. And this lesson will just be something you can use to help all those friends of yours that are having trouble. Okay? So, listen closely. I want to talk to you this morning about envy consumes itself. Envy works from the inside out. And we don't always recognize it. We don't always see it in ourselves, but it's pretty easy and obvious to see in people around us. You you think about people that do things really well. You may not be envious of them at all. But I'll tell you where envy hits us. It hits us in the commonality of life. For example, I am not envious of how a professional golfer plays golf. You know why? I'm never going to get there to that level. So I'm not envious of that. But you know where people get envious? They go play golf with a friend who can hit the ball a little better than them. And that's where envy can creep in. It's in the commonality of life. It's not the big things. But envy destroys a person from the inside out, just like drinking your own poison. You become the architect of your own misery. You you begin to develop this inner core of hatred, selfishness, that envies what others can do. Now, it's amazing the differences between jealousy and envy and coveting. See, jealousy is like you have a fear that you're going to lose something that maybe you already have, like a friendship. You don't want to lose this friend, but they're becoming real close friends with somebody else. And you become jealous. But coveting goes a little deeper. Coveting desires something you don't have, but someone else does. You want what they have. But envy, to me, goes even deeper. Envy not only covets and wants what someone else has, but it begrudges the person who has it. You want to take it from them. 
You don't want them to experience what you are experiencing. That's kind of the position we come to here in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. It begins in Genesis 3, 15 and 16 where sin is really radicalized in the life of believers through Adam and Eve seeing the deception that it brings, the enmity that it brings, the division that sin brings, and the curse that it brings. But then we come to Genesis 4, and we see this story of Cain and Abel. So you follow along as I read just the first eight verses here in Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of, and of their fat. Some of us want to do that, give our fat away. It was a valuable thing. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Now let, let's stop here for a moment. A lot of us get hung up on, Well, why was Cain's offering not acceptable and Abel's was? Quit trying to figure it out. When God says it wasn't, it's not. And when he says it is, it is. Because God knows the heart and we don't. And he knew the heart of Cain was not the same as that of Abel. And his offering was not acceptable. And he clarifies this in verse 7. If, that's a conditional statement, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. What a change. These are brothers. They have the same blood in their veins. They grew up with the same parents, were taught the same things, the same ways. And one followed after God and one didn't. Have you noticed that happens in families? A lot of parents try to bear all the guilt of one of their children is wayward. Well, listen, they follow after who they want to follow after. You do the best you can do. But it won't always turn out the same for every child. 
Cain went one way, Abel went another. Now, this is the first picture we see, really, of worship. You see, both of these were supposedly involved in worship. Cain was bringing his offering, Abel his offering. But worship became deadly. Well, we don't want that today, do we? But you understand, if your heart is not in worship, you're going to have Cain worship in your life. That is, selfishness and self-centeredness will be how you tend to worship. You won't worship by who God is, you'll worship by who you are. And that will bring utter destruction to your life. Here with Cain and Abel, it begins with this envy and jealousy. Notice again in verse 7. If you do well. You see, Cain wasn't angry because his offering was rejected. He was angry because his brother had something that he didn't have. A heart for God. And he didn't like it. And if our worship is going to be proper, our heart has to be right. If your heart's not right, then you can stand here and sing praise songs from now until dark tonight and nothing happens. You're just going through the motions. God knew the heart of Cain and Abel and he knew the difference. And he knew that one was seeking him and one was not. You see, the real problem here is sin. Now, who likes to talk about sin? I mean, sin is destructive. Sin brings so much discomfort in our lives. But what we tend to do, instead of talk about sin, we begin to talk about our goodness. Y'all are quiet this morning. Pastor, would you say amen real loud out there? You see, if you do well, that's the key. If you do not do well, then wrongness sets in. In chapter 3, Eve had to be talked into the desires of sin. But not so with Cain. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, the scripture says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 1 John 3, 12 says, Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Eve had to be talked into sinning. Cain didn't have to be. His heart was evil already. But he was trying to show his goodness. Well, I bring an offering. What's wrong with my offering? Have you ever seen people who believe that they're good? That sounds like a trick question, doesn't it? It is. You see, we all tend to think we are good. Though the Bible tells us there is no one who is good. 
But people who think they are good think they're good not because of who they are internally. They think they're good because of what they do. And there are still people in our day who think they're going to heaven because they do good things. Did you know evil people can do good things? Good things will not get you to heaven. But I'll tell you what they will do. They'll convince you you're going to heaven when you're going to hell. Goodness will blind you from the real condition of your heart. And that's what was going on with Cain. He saw himself as who he was internally. I, I'm a good person. He was lying to himself. I do good things. I worship I give my offerings, what's wrong? Later on in the children of Israel's life, we see the same picture. In Isaiah chapter 1, we see the picture of God's people coming to worship, lifting up their hands, singing praise to God, giving their offerings. You know what God said to his people? Your heart is far from me. Your offerings, your worship has become an abomination to me. It's not acceptable anymore. I don't want your things you do. I want you. I want your heart. And that's the situation we're in today, that there are so many people trying to do good so they can be seen as good. But what happens is they're trying this goodness because they envy some things they see in other people that they don't have. Well, there's a real spiritual-minded person. I'm not like that, but I'm going to do some good things so that I can look like that. That won't get you to heaven when you die. Jesus talked about it this way. If you think you're going to heaven, but you're really not, you're twice the citizen of hell. That means you think you're going, but you're not. That's a dangerous place to be. You see, you can't measure your eternal life by the good deeds that you're doing. Now notice what he says next. Look back in verse 7. If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Y'all ever have a sin problem that just keeps coming back? It just lies at the door. We have a, a puppy. Those of you who've had a puppy, you know the ups and downs. But we love our little puppy. But do you know what a dog will do if they're outside your house but they want to be inside? They don't go down the street and wait. They come to your door. And they bark or they scratch on the door. They're crouching at your door. Sin lies at your door. Now, if you barely crack that door open and you're not guarding it, 
That puppy will be in the house in just a second. Sin is crouching at your door. If you open the door in any way to wrong thinking, wrongdoing, wrong living, sin will come right in. It's always crouching at your door. It's ready and waiting. But let me tell you, you could have different things crouching at your door. Wouldn't it be nice to have love and joy and peace crouching at your door? What kind of beast is crouching at your door today? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it envy? Selfishness? Pride? Those things when they're crouching at your door, you just give the door a little crack, a little opportunity, and it will come in on you. Think of it this way. Satan is always watching for our weaknesses. And when he finds one, he will make you an offer. And it's at that point that sin is ready to jump in if you're not on guard. Now, let me help you see this another way. Can you see my Bible? If I let go of my Bible, will you look up or down? Why? If I, drop, if I let go of this Bible, it's going to go down, right? You're not going to look, well, I wonder if it'll float. No, you're going to look down. Why? Because the law of gravity is in effect. It's always in effect. If it weren't, you wouldn't be seated. You would be floating. But the law of gravity is in effect. Sin or the law of sin that Paul talks about in Romans, is always in effect. The law of sin is always there. If you do not do well, you'll do the wrong thing. It is your tendency. It is the nature of sin within us. Now, how can I overcome this law of sin? This law of gravity? Well, I used to... I used to get on an airplane about 120 times a year. And I'm so glad I'm not doing that now. But I was always amazed, these heavy giants flying. Now, they defied the law of gravity. But do you know what? The law of gravity was still in effect. If we're up at 38,000 feet and the engine shut off on the plane, you better believe the law of gravity is going to take over and it's going to fall. But what kept us flying was the law of aerodynamics. You can overcome the law of gravity. You can overcome the law of sin by practicing the law of the spirit of life in Christ. When you walk in his ways, you can defy the law of sin. Now here, 
in verse 7 again, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. It draws you in. Sin is going to make you an offer. But the only resistance you have to sin is your life in Christ. He's the only one that can overcome sin. It's not your goodness that can. Oh, I'm so good, pride won't take over. It just did. I'm so good that I, I can forgive people. Sorry, you can say you forgive people. But the heart being changed is a different thing. You see, sin lies at the door. It's ready to take over. It's ready to crouch on you. It's ready to take effect in your life. Sin's desire is to draw you in. You know, most of the times, it's not what most Christians think of as the awful sins. Most Christians that I meet do not practice repentance. They practice behavior modification. Well, I did this wrong, so tomorrow I won't do that wrong. Well, you can do that. With good effort, you can look good on the outside, but Jesus said that's not where the problem is. He said the problem comes from the heart. Now, doing good to try and be good is a ridiculous effort. That's what Cain did. He was envious of what his brother had, and his envy consumed him. It began with selfishness. It moved to envy and hatred and ultimately murder. Your first offer for sin is usually not what you think of as a great, big, bad sin. You know, we think of, certain things as more wrong than others, though it's not, but they appear that way socially, to murder someone. Did you know the same anger that murders someone is the same one that loses his keys and gets upset? We're just talking about degrees now. You see, your first offer for sin to draw you in is usually something so minute that you don't see it as that bad. But if you succumb to it, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And you get in debt to sin. But what did the scripture say? And his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, some people misinterpret this. They think, okay, if I find out sin's a problem, I'm going to rule over it. I'm going to say good things, do good things. I'm not going to do that again. I'll rule over it. That's not what the Scripture's talking about. It's pointing to Christ in the future, who will rule over sin. 
Christ who will save his people from their sins. There's no place in the Bible that it says, save yourself from your sin. No, only Christ can save us from our sin. You must rule over sin by submitting yourself to Christ. And as you submit yourself to Christ, you, you're strengthened in your desire to follow him more than to follow your own ways. Eve had a desire to sin, and it led to a lot of destruction coming to this very chapter. Adam desired to sin. It came to this destruction. But what tends to happen is when you and I sin, we tend to forget it quickly. Because we don't tend to measure our heart by evilness of our deeds. We measure it by other good things that we have. Well, I know I did that wrong, but look, I got 99 things today right. Well, good. I'm happy for you. But the 99 things you're doing right are not what will destroy you. It's the one you're doing wrong that you let the door crack open and it comes in and you keep giving into it. And it builds and it builds. And the next thing you know, you have taken on this personality of sin that your friends see, but you can't see it. Because envy, sin consumes itself it eats on your very soul jesus i am so thankful came to save us from our sins you will not know the joy of your salvation if you don't recognize the awfulness of your sin isaiah talked about this He said to Christ, to God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Y'all remember that? Well, let me ask you, if our righteousness is as filthy rags to God, what do you think our sin looks like? See, this is an awful thing, this sin problem. But it has a wonderful answer. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And every person here this morning who's walking in the path of sin, who, who's let the door crack open, and maybe there's an area in your life that has succumbed to that sinful way, and you can't seem to get over it, there is an answer, and it's called repentance. It's not, I'm going to be better. It's not, I'm going to learn to do good. It's not, I'm going to work my way into God's good standing. No, he's looking for a heart that's made perfect toward him, that worships him, not just in deed, but internally. You see, our memory fails quickly about our wrongdoings. But our memory is really good about what we're good at. 
and it can overpower you from seeing the truth. Envy is an awful thing, but it is just an example here in Genesis 4 of the issue of sin. When we get to the New Testament, we see in James chapter 3 and verse 16 and following that where you find envy and self-seeking, you you find confusion in every form of evil. And this wisdom is not from above, the scripture says. Are you listening? This is very important. This wisdom, envy, and self-seeking is not from above. It is sensual, it is earthly, and it's demonic. That's serious, isn't it? You see, if you just have a little bit of envy going on, you think, I'm okay, I'm not too bad. Sin, when it is finished, issues in death, not life. But Christ imputed into our life as righteousness, teaching us how to walk in his ways and in his spirit, brings life. People say to me all the time, Carrie, how do I learn how to walk in the ways of Christ? I haven't had the experience you've had. I I didn't have the background you had. I, I haven't had the opportunities you've had to learn about Christ. Well, the first question is, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not, I'm not interested in you telling me you do. It's not so important that I know whether you know Christ or not. It's important of whether or not Christ knows you. And you're his child. And if you're his child, he said he would put his spirit in you. The spirit of truth that will guide you in all things, teach you in all things. That means there is no excuse for you not understanding the ways of God. Because if you truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he put his spirit in you. And that spirit will teach you the ways of God. Even if you say, I don't have the opportunity. I don't have the right mentor. Nobody's explained this to me. That's why Jesus left his spirit. He will teach you. He will guide you in all things. Now the question today is this. Have you let envy consume you? Or let's go a little further. Have you let pride consume you? Have you let anger consume you? If you have, I'm going to give you the best news you can possibly hear today. You're just a repentant prayer away from being back in fellowship with God. That's all it takes. A repentant prayer. Not a, I'm going to do good I'm going to act better tomorrow. No. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of attitude that only Christ can bring. Well, we need to process this. I want you to listen closely. This is not a time to get ready to go home. 
Leave your stuff alone. This is a time to encounter the living God. That's why we're here. So right after I pray, we're going to sing. If you don't need to sing, don't sing. What you need to do is focus on God. If you want to come and pray, do that. Butch will be here if you need someone to pray with you or help you with any decision. But primarily, this message today is for God's people turning their hearts wholly back to Him in true, heartfelt worship. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.